Hello and welcome to Box Unincluded, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm Hamish, she saved the world a lot, Steel. And I'm Jade. To every generation a podcaster is born, <laughs> Rose. <laughs> Ooh, I think we know what we think about. Yeah, um, but if you hadn't already guessed, if you hadn't seen perhaps on the Twitter or the Facebook, uh, in honour of the new series of Doctor Who starting, uh, featuring our first female Doctor, our feeds being full of trailers for things such as Captain Marvel, Netflix's Riverdale Twinge, Sabrina Adaption with the trend of all female reboots not slowing down, we ask the age-old question, what is a strong female character? I'm in it, I'm in it. Well... Uh, we'll be doing our best to unpack that uh, term um, as we get on but I think first we'll do our traditional catch up and geek out yes how have you been oh you know playing Uh, a lot of tabletop games yeah (laughs) how about you Uh, I've I've been good Uh, yesterday I had a um party i had a super mario party party Ooh! um it's my birthday on thursday uh and the new mario party game came out and so i decided to kind of make them both the same things and go full like kids birthday party with it mm-hmm. um i bought a pack of like mario brothers themed party decorations and i had themed snacks and everything like that and uh only like half the people I invited came, and it, but it was like so fun. We just like played Mario Party for about five hours, um, and so yeah. The, if if the the new game is really really fun, I don't know if you really like. Do you know much about Mario Party? That kind of uh, Mario Party is one of the few games I can say that I have played. Uh, yeah, I don't know which Mario Party yes. it was, but because um, I know there's been a number of iterations of the game, I remember my uh, sister um, brother-in-law became my before my brother-in-law became my Mm -hmm. brother-in-law they had a Wii at their place and uh, Mario Party was one of the big things that we all did as a group when we were hanging out because it caused less risk of property being broken than Mario Kart which was (laughs) the other one (laughs) yeah I mean this people say that the Mario Party franchise kind of went downhill and it, it they just used to bring them out almost every year mm. and uh they put loads of gimmicks and all these kinds of things in um and this is very much considered a it's like the first one in a while that isn't called Mario Party 7 8 or whatever so mm-hmm. this is considered a little bit of a um reboot and love a soft reboot <laughs> yeah it's really really fun and um all the mini games are great and it, as is Mario Party tradition, no matter how well you do, at the end there'll be some surprise bonus for uh, you lost the most games, so here's a star kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I was with people who uh, were really getting into it. And then afterwards we watched the Mario Brothers movie. Um, classic cinema. Classic cinema. Which genuinely, okay, it's always regarded as like terrible. And mm. A... It's not, I wonder if it's not great or our standards over time have become incredibly low, but we, <laughs> we loved it. Like the it's produ- Bob Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and isn't Dennis Hopper Bowser? Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's, it's such a loose adaptation, but like 
if you kind of take away the aspect that it's trying to be a Mario movie, it's like the production design, the world building, the costumes, like it's not a half-assed movie. Mm. The only half-assed aspect is like the one meeting they had when like deciding how close to the games it's going to be probably. <laughs> like they whole-assed it is what we Yeah, saying. it's like even Bob Hoskins who went on to say that making this film was probably the worst experience of his life is not phoning it in. He's committing. And actually the standout for us this time was Fiona Shaw. Who Fiona Shaw's in it. I did I mean as a kid I didn't know who she was. And now she plays a character who's not in the games. She's kind of yeah. like Bowser's right-hand lady. <gasps> and she has amazing costumes. She has like Bride of Frankenstein hair and like black rubber gimp suit dress. <laughs> And she's just being like scenery chewing and and also she like double crosses Bowser the whole time and she's like wants to conquer the world herself kind of character. This is what happens when you let Shakespearean trained <laughs> actors at your speaking delightful... of, Speaking of, after watching the movie, we watch all the special features because um weirdly the the Mario Brothers movie Blu-ray was not released by any of the studios involved. It was actually like a fan uh, oh, like kickstarted thing, so it has like loads of extras, um, and Incredible. it has like all uh, the like four press interviews of uh-huh. all the actors. And there's this really funny one of Bob Hoskins, uh, it, it, like there was one of John Leguizamo going like, "Oh yeah, so this movie is about like evolution and the theory of parallel universes, and in a way, it like acts as a prequel to the." St- to the story of the characters and it's it's like building on this and it cuts to Bob Hoskins and he's like oh, I did Shakespeare and now I'm playing this little guy who bounces up and down on a screen and <laughs> <laughs> it's really good and then Fiona Shaw is just like loving it I, mm. I it's like last week when I talked about the He-Man documentary I love when actors who mm-hmm. you know they've done Shakespeare they've done all this But when they get given the role of playing, like, an action figure or a video game character, or, like, when I think of Ian McKellen, like, a comic book Mm -hmm. character, and they just give it their all and they bring all that experience and they don't... Like, Bob Hoskins was joking. I think he kind of felt the same. They they do bring all that to the role. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Definitely. So that was my yesterday. That's how I've been. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Um, Well, it happened... Last Saturday, but uh, as on as urn, wow. <clears throat> uh, can somebody fix that in post? Oh shit, I'm the one that fixes it in post. <laughs> That'll stay in. Um, as mentioned in our last episode, I was going to go see Six, the musical, uh, up at the London Arts Theatre, and I went last Saturday. Oh holy shit, Hamish! It was so good. <laughs> oh, good. it was so fucking good. It's good since been announced that they're going to have a full West End run starting next year. They're also going to be doing, um, uh, I think, a week or two at the Rose Theatre in Kingston. Hamish, you and I are going to this fucking show. Oh, wow. I want to see it again, and I think you will love it because the costumes are just found. It was such a small theatre space to be in, small enough that in the quieter moments you could hear the shoes that the... Uh, actresses were wearing mm. unpeel from the stage. This is like some 90s, the shoes, the amount of rhinestones and stick-on spikes on things. It was an all-female band. The atmosphere was fantastic. It felt like being at a pop concert. Mm. And my friends who 
went with me on the basis of the trailer that on the website on my word and all it's always the case with me where if I've suggested something and other people are going on faith I am terrified until the yes. moment they tell me they enjoyed it yes but partway through, I think, it, or it might have been after the first number, my friend Stephanie turned to me and said, this is fantastic. I'm so glad you suggested it. And I'm like, mm. yes. But uh, I'm still waking up with the songs in my head oh, that's a good. week later. So um, if you can't see it at the Rose Theatre in Kingston, keep your eyes out for the West End. Well, I'm hoping that they go to places where you can literally stand up and dance because I wanted to dance mm. listening to, to these songs. But it's fun. It's well written. It's just a really good way to spend an hour and 15 minutes because it's not a long show at all. And I had a blast. I I, uh, I like the Rose Theatre. I've seen a few things. That's where we are. Did you have your graduation ceremony there? No, it wasn't finished when I was there. Ah, That's where I had mine. Yeah, it was still in what they called its raw state when I was at uni, but I did get to see and stagehand in two shows of a production of As You Like It, mm -hmm. directed by Sir Peter Hall, with Rebecca Hall as Rosalind and Dan Stevens as Orlando. <laughs> and let me tell you, Dan Stevens, one, this was Dan Stevens at his twinkiest, and he was a delight <laughs> in many ways. I'd also like to say Hunter from the Gladiators was also in that production, <laughs> as was Arietti from The Borrowers, the TV series, not the movie. Wow. Yeah, it was like a really good cast. But uh, yeah, I got to, because I was part of the drama department at Kingston Uni at the time, uh, a bunch of us were asked if we wanted to be involved in the production. And mm. I got to be a stagehand for a couple of shows and it was for a couple of the matinees and it was lovely and the people involved were lovely but the rose theater this was back when it was like still largely concrete inside mm. and stuff like that but uh so i'd like to see the space as a finished one it'd be great cool um i've been watching more films than i ever have uh i yeah. made this like strange um uh at the moment i'm working on dead end year two and i want to just like embed myself in horror and like horror twinge things and obviously Halloween October it's the perfect time to do it mm -hmm. um, and I usually put them on the background while working especially ones I've seen before um, but I'm trying to watch a horror film every single day and so far I have watched Bram Stoker's Dracula which mm -hmm. is a ballet of performances on different levels of being mm -hmm. uh, everyone criticised uh, Keanu Reeves for being bad and he's pretty bad in it but I would argue that Gary Oldman's just a different level of bad. <laughs> like, different different flavour of bad. Like, everyone's kind of bad, but that's I, it, it makes it what it is. It's Anthony Hopkins who plays Van Helsing in that movie. Uh, that yes. Right? It's got yep. Anthony Hopkins. It's got Winona Ryder. It's got... Sadie um, Frost. Yes. Lucy. Tom Waits. Um, Dang, that's... Richard E. Grant. Yep. It's, yep. it's just... It's going all out. No one is mm -hmm. doing being subtle in this. Mm -hmm. um, I watched Misery, which is great. Um, Sleepy Hollow that I like, I still like a lot. Um, mm -hmm. The Old Dark House, which I've never seen, which is by James Whale, who directed Bride of Frankenstein, who I mentioned on our horror, uh, I think last year's Halloween kind of episodes. Mm -hmm. um, and kind of, The Old Dark House is very much the first like, it's very much what Rocky Horror is kind of based on in terms of uh, 
we've been rained in we've been rained in our car and we need to go to a nearby spooky mansion and everyone there is kind of vaguely mm. camp and yeah incestuous seemingly mm-hmm. <laughs> um watch get out obviously great uh rocky horror poltergeist Ouija Origin of Evil, which I was convinced to watch by um, a friend, and was pretty good. What We Do in the Shadows, and then um, the Adams Family films at the Prince Charles Cinema, mm-hmm. which was a delight. I'd never watched them back to back before. Mm. Um, the second film, like the Prince Charles likes to show like the original film reels, and the second one was slightly dodgy and had some slight sound issues, mm. but everyone was. Uh, Everyone knows the words anyway. Yep. <laughs> and everyone was being very respectful. This wasn't like a quote along, but mm-hmm. having a whole cinema scream Malibu Barbie well, very good. was very good. Um, and then I watched The Neon Demon, which is mm. a film I can't quite work out how I feel about. It, um, but I think very much that's the intention. Mm-hmm. It received as like standing ovation of booze at Cannes Film Festival. <laughs> What a uh, what a reputation it has to like, have. I think it has like genuinely a fifty percent on uh, Rotten mm. Tomatoes, yeah. and um, some people have said it's like the most offensive film of the year. Some people think it's genius. Um, in short, it's like it's from a director of Drive, mm. and it's about Elle Fanning plays a 15-year-old who moves to LA to be a model and has to keep lying that she's 19 in order to do kind of slightly sexy photo shoots. And it's very much like about that and the sort of commodity of youth and beauty and blah, 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 blah. And then it turns into sort of a cannibal (laughs) um, like slasher film. And it's like vaguely supernatural. And Keanu Reeves plays like a weird landlord and... There's kind of like an evil lesbian character and like a lot of the controversy about if his offences is it Mm. uh, it's played by Jenna Malone Mm. but it's like everyone in this is kind of evil and strange and like I don't really think it's a commentary on lesbianism because no one in this appears to be human Mm. anyway it was enjoyable anyway Um, good so I don't know where I'm gonna go next but um, it's I'm getting busier and I'm definitely gonna miss some days have you watched Repo the Genetic Opera? Okay, I have watched it when I was not, I would say not properly. Okay, you I, should add it, that to your list of stuff to watch if you can. Yes, this is what the segment is. If anyone has like a horror movie they want me to watch, even ones I've seen before, I'm just looking for examples. Um, oh, and Cabin in the Woods, which is oh, my yes. favourite. No, that's a good one. Mm. Um I've got a list. I've got like a bunch of ones that I want to watch, but I actually want to watch. And unfortunately, mm. I've had to like put a lot in the background. But um, yeah, yeah. So I'm actually seeing the new Suspiria at London Film Festival next week, Ooh, which I'm yeah. excited about. I'll have fun. Um, okay, which of my things to talk about? Mm. I will pick and mix with these. <laughs> Over to uh, offerings on Netflix. As you do, um, I'm continuing uh, working my way through Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, mm-hmm. currently on season two. It hit a bit of a, I don't want to say a dip in quality, but a point in the characterization where I was really struggling for a few episodes. Mm. Um, but it sort of swung back up and now I'm having fun again because I don't need every character of a show I watch to be likable. But when somebody is... Crazy Ex-Girlfriend trades a lot in secondhand embarrassment anyway. 
yeah. which can be incredibly discomforting to watch. And when I don't like the character either, it's just like I don't even feel sympathy to anybody right now. Yes. Which stops it being fun, even when your show is a campy musical. But it's it's come back up. It's like it's it's found its stride again and they're doing some new things and I'm I'm having fun. Um, new season of The Good Place is on. I just finished catching up this morning. Very much enjoying the new season. Um, as always, they strive to do something different each season. Like mm. every time The Good Place shifts, you think, okay, I don't know how they're going to make it work now. They've done that. Oh, no, they're making it work. They're making mm. it work. How do you do this, Mike? It sure? reminds me a lot of... Um the like one writing advice that always sticks with me is that like always base your show on good characters and mm. your characters should be good enough that if they're on a spaceship or if they're on, in the Himalayas or if they're back in time or if they're whatever, that we should mm. still understand them and root for them. And yeah, uh, I remember the first, I, I'm, I haven't watched, I'm two episodes behind. I did watch yeah. the, the comeback and it was exciting to see again, like, whole yeah. new kind of setup, but everything's still the same and great. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first season, it was just like, there's, it's so f- weird watching what you're kind of told as a sitcom, but the situation is not consistent. Mm. There's no return back to normal yeah. happening. Yeah. Well, That's very what, good. Mm. Well, I will say watching The Good Place um, is that I kind of get the Kristen Bell thing. Like, I've never been a hardcore fan of hers. Mm. I wouldn't say I am now, but I get why people talk about her with such fondness. And it is actually making me want to watch Veronica Mars, which I have never done. Yes. So, um, and I, maybe I'll drag you into watching that with me. She um, gets put in the same category as, um, oh, crap. Leslie, no. Oh, Amy Peeler. Yeah. Um, I think mostly because of appearance and obviously they've been in a few things together and they do sometimes play quite like chipper characters Mm. but I do think Kristen Bell has this like dark edge obviously Mm. she's not playing a a particularly nice character all the time in The Good Place Um, but she's able to sort of like play Mm. a level of insincerity that I think Amy Poehler doesn't always have yeah, there's this gift set, which I believe is from Veronica Mars, the movie, which is one of my favourite things I've ever seen of Kristen Bell, which is um, putting on, uh, taking out an invisible lipstick and putting it on <laughs> using her middle yes. finger. And I'm just like, I have seen that so many times. And every time I look at it, I'm just like, yes, mm. this is good. Um so yeah, and also coming, and I think we might touch on this briefly given our subject of the day, but we've now had the two different trailers uh, for The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and mm. I am so fucking excited for this show. It's either going to be a trash fire or it's going to be amazing, oh, and yeah. either way, I am going to have so much fun watching it. I've actually got stoked. a bit more into, I, I've gone back into Riverdale, um, mm-hmm. just like we we when we when we we if you listen to our podcast you know that our riverdale like journey where we're like mm. wow this is actually really good wow this is trash uh, i'm in, not into it and i've like come back it's like look who's come crawling back because i need that trash in my life <laughs> i start i've started just calling it evil glee um that is the best because like uh mel came over recently and we just stuck on an episode of riverdale uh she had not 
caught up at all, but she didn't care. And just like trying to work out what's going on and who's hates mm. who and like any scene with Cheryl in. Yeah. And I know that like the Sabrina show, they've it's not actually a spin-off of Riverdale, but they're making it close enough that they could cross over and well, the, well, that, well, that's the thing, because the Sabrina comic was originally a spin-off of Archie Comics. Yeah, I mean, and they mention Greendale and stuff a bit in Riverdale. Um, yeah, so, so they same are same universe. They're set in the same universe, but they are. It reminds, it's a bit like Supergirl, where they kind of um, retroactively put that in the Arrow universe when it was popular mm. enough, kind of. Yeah. But um, yeah, they are really leaning in. I mean, I watched, oh, what was it? Beautiful Creatures, Heavenly mm. Creatures. One of Emma, them. <laughs> Emma Tom basically had a similar concept of a girl bought who could go good or evil uh, when her powers manifested. Mm. And uh, you guys should watch that because it has Emma Thompson like chewing the scenery <laughs> and like. I always like seeing actors I enjoy working get to hang loose, like we were just talking about with Fiona Shaw, for example. And it's mm. it's not the best movie, but it's also really gorgeous to look at. I um mm. I do recommend. And it's got a kick-ass uh, Florence of the Machine track in there. So by all means, go watch that movie. I think the guy that played Solo is the romantic lead in it. <laughs> Back- I thought he was actually pretty good in Solo, despite all of the, you know, yeah. everything. So, uh, but um, yeah. Uh, and like I'm mostly excited about Sabrina uh, for America to discover Michelle Gomez, mm-hmm. um, Madam Satan. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love her so much. What's her line in the chat? It's just like girls, girls, girls. No lots. No, let's not be catty little bitches. And I'm there, mm. just like, oh, America is not ready for Michelle Gomez. She, she. Um, I was told that she's uh, done a big finish, um, mm-hmm. Missy series. And that she literally recorded her stuff from her, like, caravan on the set of Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Not caravan, whatever it's called. Trailer. trailer. Yeah. Um, and, like, not because half-assed whatever, it's because, oh, no, they're, like, she got offered to do more Missy, and they said, ah, oh, she's busy filming America. It's like, I'll find the time. And, like, yes. she oh. loves it. I saw a brief, uh, speaking of Michelle Gomez, I saw, I, f- I don't know whether it was at Comic-Con or somewhere, but uh, she was chatting about Doctor Who and uh, about Jodie and just like, just saying, yeah, it's time for a bit of girl on girl. It's just like, Michelle, <laughs> you gift, you gift. And like, I love it. Billy Piper said, yes, bring me back. Mm. Rose would totally be into, into Jodie's So it's just like, and Alex Kingston, as we know, is always very pro mm. these things. So it's just like, I love having all of these great uh, actresses from Doctor Who just like, let us come back now that Jodie's <laughs> playing the Doctor. We want to we wanna do this. It'd be yes. great. Especially all the characters that the Doctor has canonically kissed. <laughs> they, they, the people know what we want, apparently. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple, yeah, let's, we've got a couple more things we want to catch up and then we'll get on to, to Doctor Who more Um do we want to take a bit of a, I say, a bit of a, another bad week in comics? Oh, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about this. Um, my comics, <laughs> comics Twitter is a wild ride. Um, and I say this because it, there's like, you know, uh, drama and controversies and whatever, um, just like in the film industry or TV industry, but because comics is very small and almost everyone does kind of know each other or is one degree of separation from each other because of conventions and what have you. Um, 
there's been a few times this year when there's been a big argument on Twitter and then that weekend we're all on the same row at a comic convention. And um, so there's been a few things that happened this week, which I won't really go into. I, I, I did find out um, a friend of mine was actually an abuser of lots of people and it's kind of pretty sucky. Jeez, I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. But uh, there's been something that I think is worth talking about. Um mm. Chuck Wendig, who's quite a well-known uh, Star Wars and other things writer, he wrote a lot of books. He's been writing a Darth Vader comic, um, and he was among the first people to put LGBT characters in the Star Wars universe. Um, I know in like Star Wars episodes we said, it, oh, it doesn't matter if it's in the comics, but you know, it's still people trying as much as they yes. can and where they can. Um I've mentioned Comicsgate before, but if you know Gamergate, it's the same kind of thing. It's just old guard fans, and that doesn't necessarily mean they're old. I just mean they like the things the way things are, get mad at um, people putting representation in comics or just being women in comics or whatever. Sure. Um, they were among the people that... Uh, sort of campaign to get James Gunn fired from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, it sounds very strange. They, they, they've they been doing this kind of organized campaign to fake outrage at things. Mm. Um, James Gunn got fired from Guardians of the Galaxy for tweets he made a long time ago that he had apologized for. I'm not defending the tweets, blah, 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 blah. It's odd that this kind of group that hates people being outraged at things would... Blah, 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 blah. Um, because uh, Chuck put LGBT characters into some of his comics, he became a target, and mm. everything he wrote was downvoted and one-starred on any website you can. Mm. Um, so from Marvel and Disney and everyone involved's perspective, uh, you know, any book this person touched would be a one-star thing on Amazon, would whatever. Um and he has been fired midway through his run on the comic because he didn't... He was receiving a lot of abuse on Twitter, and mm. instead of accepting it, he would sort of clap back. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a good look for the comic from Marvel's point of view, so he's been fired. And this is something that is worth talking about because there's this idea that as you kind of go up the stairs of the comics industry that big companies like Marvel will protect you and defend you, but... Nope. No, they only care about their brand and their money, and they will listen to the loudest audience, and if the loudest audience are people that are harassing and uh, being abusive, they'll listen to that. Mm. Um, and it's really sad. Like, this is a man who was actually being abused on Twitter, and then because he defended himself, he's lost his job. Yeah. Um, and because this industry is so small and everyone's looking for job, it's kind of scary to criticize, uh, Marvel or Disney or any of these big companies. Um, I've, most of my income this year has been from Disney, um, yeah. actually, but it's, you know, if you don't, if you don't stand for anything, what will you fall for? Um, and Yeah. It's a bit sad, and it sounds like maybe it's nothing, but it it's kind of um, this week has been seen both the comics community kind of 
tear each other apart over um, arguments and then kind of this at the end sort of united everyone. Um, So yeah, that's what's been going on in my Twitter life this week. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that uh, Chuck Wendig breaks good because James Gunn just got hired to direct and write Suicide Squad 2. So, (laughs) and I am all for seeing what James Gunn does with that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he'll be given complete free reign to do whatever he wants with it. And I'd like to think that for all that I do like about the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, that Margot Robbie, I believe, has got producer rights now and will not let Harley Quinn be a... We know, Margot is good. I, yes. I've got faith. I've got faith in that combo to create um, interesting. I, so I know. A... I know Dave Batista is all like, "Oh, so I'm going to go be in Suicide Squad later." Bye. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, it is what it is. I'm a full blown yeah. Margot Robbie stan, by the way. I talk about mm-hmm. this a lot. We. I think she's a. Uh, I think she's really cool. Mm. Let us talk because I know I've got another couple of things, but I'd like to start talking about the big thing that we need to geek out over Mm. which is a good excellent stepping point to our topic for the episode we've not done a proper full topic for an episode in a while so uh i'm excited yeah it's hard to actually come up with new ones Um, it really is it's kind of shocking we haven't done this we sometimes step away from uh topics that probably were better commented by like a dedicated feminist podcast um, mm-hmm. We tend to go queer. Uh, neither of us identify as women, mm-hmm. um, but we're going to try our best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's worth talking about, with full spoiler warning, uh, Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Hey, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Who. Who. Doctor. <laughs> uh, we are recording on Sunday. Uh, by the time this goes out, two episodes will have aired, but we've only seen one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what did you think? I liked it. I'm not like falling over myself, amazed, spectacular. Oh my God, my earth is shook. I am shook. I thought it was a fun episode. I'm really liking the new TARDIS team that mm-hmm. we've been introduced to. I thought it was uh, maybe not the strongest story in the world, but I liked what it gave us to see about the characters. And I love Jodie's Doctor. I think what she's doing with the part is fantastic. It feels like, and the speech she gave in the episode about how we can evolve. And it's about like remembering where we've been and respecting where we've been, but also the opportunity to be something new that I am very pro and happy about. Um, As I said on Twitter the other day, however, the only thing (laughs) that I'm a little bit bittersweet about on it it's how much like 13 is like me <laughs> because and it's a compliment to the character like there's as as characters to be compared to and have people on twitter go oh the new doctor really reminds me of jade that's so unbelievably flattering because that character is amazing mm. however as somebody who desperately wants to play the doctor to see that and go oh okay so that's what it might have been like if I was doing it. Don't cool. worry, though, because, uh, you know, Jodie gets compared to Ten a lot and a few other Doctors. And uh, mm. when you're the Doctor, they'll say, oh, it reminds me a lot of Thirteen. Yeah, and, this is uh, true. And think about Peter Capaldi. He was offered uh, the role mm. um, in the 80s, in the 90s, and then finally got it in a, you know, sure. it's... it's uh, 
it's it's funny to think that we were very close to getting like Peter Capaldi eighties kind of dashing young doctor when he's mm. grumpy granddad. Yeah. <laughs> um so uh yeah, I I think I felt the same. I mm. think when the eleventh hour aired, I didn't I I've made no <laughs> secret of saying I didn't really enjoy um the end of time and sort of slight tail end to the tenant years. So uh, I was kind of ready for change. Yes. Um, And I was ready for change from a fandom point of view. I really wanted people to like Doctor Who again, but I did actually enjoy um, kind of where Moffat's writing ended up. Mm. And actually I did find the change like quite shocking. Uh, It felt very different. Yeah. And like, I absolutely adored the re sort of centering on like kind of kitchen sink drama aspect and like Mm -hmm. I love the companions are so much heart I loved for the first time in a very long time the doctor is has no qualms about expressing like uh we've had sort of the 12th doctor who started off very kind of rude Mm. and then 11th doctor who was always quite sort of uh found humans quite hard to like maybe talk to Mm. And this one was just constantly apologizing and asking people are okay and like mm-hmm. was very um I'd say like emotionally mature. And maybe yeah. we'll t- we'll talk about that maybe with how female characters are written. Yeah. Uh, but also you and I have talked before about how each doctor is as as well as being their own thing is very much a reaction to the doctor who went before and yeah. the companions that they had. Mm. And to see 13 as a reaction to or thinking about 13's reaction to 12 and 12's issues yeah. that he talked about very frankly, and Bill as the companion, mm. to then see 13, you can sort of go, ah. Yeah. Yes. Good. Yeah, I, I loved her so much. And I, I really like the companions and mm-hmm. I, or the friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Yasmin yeah. hasn't necessarily been established as much, but it was like Ryan's story was really sweet. Um, also, shout out to Frank's description of dyspraxia without being a big hoo-ha, but hello, yes, people have this condition. Yeah, and like awesome. not, a, not a plot point, not cured, not it didn't save the world. It's just is a, a detail. Yeah. And like um, Graham, uh, I actually liked that he was kind of a jerk. He was like, I think sometimes companions... Um, especially maybe the Moffat ones and one of the reasons people didn't relate to them as much on, on the whole. Uh, there's like a real pressure to make sure the audience knows they're like the perfect person to be on the TARDIS. And like, we, uh, you know, that in episode one, they display lots of like doctor like qualities or companion like qualities that makes us want to like see them on the TARDIS. Whereas, um, Graham, uh, was pretty rude to, <laughs> Ryan at one point, his grands, his sort of step grandson, I suppose, um, kind of, he mm. said something very kind of ableist to him, um, and I quite like that because it actually mm. shows that over these episodes, there's going to be places for these characters to grow, um, which I don't think we've seen in a while, mm. um. And yeah, I, I think the the main criticism I have is that the sort of alien plot was pretty, compared to sort of where we'd been for the last few years, was quite basic. But 
I think yeah. my, my my major concern, I think kind of like clever sci-fi writing can be learned much easier than like writing characters mm. well. Yeah, um, I'd rather have the weakness on that side than the character side because I feel it's easier to, like you say, balance, bring bring one up to the level of the other. Yeah. Um, and my other criticism is a spoiler. And that, I think, is uh, the fridging of a certain character. Yeah. And I do say fridging rather than, like, lots of people die in Doctor Who. Yes. But um, the character of Grace mm-hmm. seems to solely exist. Uh, to die. To die in a way that it does, it wasn't even very clear why it had to happen. She yeah. very much seemed like she wanted to die because she knew her place was to make Ryan and Graham have, like, mm. issues to talk through. Yeah. Um. And I, I've seen on Twitter a lot of like black Whovians and black women uh, nerds have not really appreciated uh, mm-hmm. being invited into this new era of Doctor Who and seeing something like that happen. Yeah. Um, but we'll see how the series goes on time travel, yeah. what not, blah, 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 blah. We talked about this before and sort of the way Bill was handled towards the end and yeah. Um, Danny Pink. That's kind of a kind of a worrying trend of yeah. black characters in Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, however, we do have Ryan here is hoping that yes, and also um, rather than it being sort of a full trailer for coming up, what we saw was just like screenshots. Well, not quite screenshot. A little bit of action of all the people who are going to be guest starring in this season and the number of actors of color was mm. so heartwarming. She's just like, oh. The writers' room have been listening. Yeah, fantastic. Um, this is also like a moment of celebration and a slightly shocking statistic. This is actually the mm-hmm. first epi- season of Doctor Who to feature ever people of color writing. Oh, uh, sweet Jesus, Doctor Who! Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, but at least it's a change they're actively making. Um, there's an episode that I would be utterly terrified of if I heard that it was in the Moffat era. Mm. Um, We don't know anything about any of these episodes, but uh, episode three is a celebrity historical with Rosa Parks. Huh. And it's, but it's uh, been written by Mallory Blackman. um, Oh, wow. And I have faith. Mm. Um, And so that was one of the characters. And there seemed, just based on kind of the character, the character selection screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there seems to be an episode set in India, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a country with a lot of history mm-hmm. to delve from. I'm I'm a little sick of Victorian London for Doctor Who, yeah. um, so that's exciting at least. They're, they're, um, mm-hmm. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, um, and just a quick little thing before, and this is sort of a very nice bridging point about the change of the Doctor now being a lady. Mm. Uh, one, the great line about it's been a long time since I shopped for women's clothes. That yes. was a really fun little line to have. The gag about um, when the doctor has to make a jump from one crane to another because, like, I thought, um, are you, I swear my legs used to be longer. The fact that Jodie Whittaker is five foot six and the last four people to play the doctor have all been six foot or above, mm. nicely handled. But I liked it because. And the, the little speech that I mentioned before about evolution and transitioning from one state of being to another, mm-hmm. like, that was some good 
writing that was some good shit. Obviously, it's just the first episode. None of the characters in that episode have ever known the Doctor in a previous regeneration. Mm. So for them, they have only known the Doctor like this. Yeah, I actually saw some trans uh, fans single out a bit of dialogue uh, Mm -hmm. where she says... I can't actually remember exactly, but she says, like, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going to, mm. but I I have to figure out, like, how I'm getting there. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's kind of brand new. Um, yeah. And that's what's interesting. I, I As we go and talk about strong female characters, I think there's this tendency to show strong female characters by showing horrible things happening to them constantly. Like, yes. they're strong female characters because look how sexist this world is and how badass they are. Mm. Uh, as a result but that kind of stuff happens very few times to the companion so it would make no sense for Mm. it to suddenly happen to the doctor and i think the way they're handling it of like Mm. some things are new and maybe as they go into historical episodes maybe the doctor will have a slightly different response to things or be treated slightly differently but i think ultimately Mm. it's actually really cool having a bunch of companions who have only ever known the doctor as a woman yeah. There's going to be a bunch of fans or kids watching who only ever know the Doctor as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's exciting. Yeah. Um, one little thing I think you mentioned, you further down our notes, there's a comment about this, where we had the bad driver gag about the TARDIS. I say gag uh, mm. after the change. But the fact that as we've arrived with 13 and she seems very practical and the Doctor has always been a bit of a tinkerer. We've seen the Doctor make things before and like jerry-rig technology before, but to see 13 so very into tech and making things and, mm. and have her be this making a sonic screwdriver out of melted down spoons mm. like and the whole line about Shefford still. So to have a, 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 a character played by one who is so very mechanical and practical in that regard it's this wonderful thing that goes hand in hand with her empathy Mm. and the fact that also and i've had i've seen a friend of mine on twitter talk about this the fact that this doctor as well as being a lady is a lady with a working class accent like a regional accent sheffield accent um though uh, jodie whittaker is not technically from from sheffield but she is from from huddersfield huddersfield (laughs) good good work americans trying to caption that we saw we respect (laughs) your efforts um but great to have that kind of regional accent on a on a woman yeah. who then gets to be this very practical tinkerer type, very pragmatic, and also get to have this great amount of heart and sympathy mm. and empathy is is a wonderful thing to see. Which is a which is the beginnings and foundations of a strong female character? Question mark. I was just yeah. We were, sorry. This is going to be, it might be a long episode. Um, Travis. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, Travis McElroy, uh, McElhenney? McElroy, sorry, always sunny came back. I'm, I'm in a McElroy <laughs> uh, and Tybee Diskin's Dot Two podcast run just uh, reviewed it, and they like to um, place all the doctors kind of in like, like we said, like what's their reaction and like how mm-hmm. are they dealing with this? And they kind of summarized Jodie's Doctor as like there's work to be done. Um, the fact that Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi's uh, screwdrivers were just kind of given to them by the TARDIS and they would uh, often postulate and Capaldi's like Doctor was defined by like uh, kind of waiting things out sometimes like he finds Mm -hmm. out someone's going to die he's going to use their death to like he plays the long game a lot he like 
plans. Whereas this doctor is just like, someone's in danger right now. We have to go. We can't stop. Like proactive. Like, I'm gonna ta- make how my, do I tackle the solution? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to make my uh, sort of screwdriver. And they defined her by the phrase, there's work to be done. And I think we've only seen one episode, but like my fear mm. was that she would be written as the female doctor. And I'm really glad that she has a really unique personality that, you know, years down the line, we might be watching a male doctor and say like, oh, he reminds me a lot of 13. Mm. Um, and that excites me. Yeah. But um, yeah, so to talk about, we'll briefly talk a little bit about the topic before we have our break and then we'll sort of try and get into it a little bit more. Yes, this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> but you guys, you guys enjoy listening to us. I assume you don't mind too much. Um, so when we asked twitter for what came to mind when we said strong female characters i i think it's great that we received such a wide range of Mm. characters uh dorothy gale came up sailor moon came up kim possible jean (laughs) gray we got storm there was Mm -hmm. uh someone talked about um the character of daisy from uh, agents of shield Mm -hmm. um and like what so what does a like strong female character who jumps to your mind um, because of who I am as a person, uh, Mako Mori was mm-hmm. one of the first people that I thought of. Uh, Furiosa, um, Matilda Wormwood, mm, yeah, and Parker from Leverage. They were sort of when I started thinking about like, strong female characters I love. Those were sort of the first ones that came pew 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 into my head. Uh, what about you? Uh, I weirdly thought about Kiki from Kiki's Delivery Service because um, I, I the the whole sort of dealing with depression like, and she kind of like works through that and she moves to the city and is independent and like it, it, to me that's a story about kind of mm. young female strength and I then I thought about other Studio Ghibli characters like Lady Aboshi who's kind of like a villain but mm-hmm. uh, she has like very strong beliefs and stands by them um, mm-hmm. and uh, Kaguya from the tale of Princess Kaguya who again it's a kind of story about um quite a carefree character who suddenly is kind of presented with womanhood and what it's supposed to how you're supposed to behave yeah and how she kind of reacts to that i suppose this just judged by the different characters that were said to us on twitter and our own sort of immediate sort of instinctual picks uh there's often a lot of confusion when we say the term strong female character and i i hope the big old inverted commas around that are nice and audible <laughs> for our listeners yeah um does the term mean physical strength and power or just how well written the character is generally or how important they are to the story and as we get as we're going to get into there seems to be a lot of actual blending of some of that mm. um which is both kind of interesting and also not great I mean, it come, It always comes down to, because there's n- tended to not be as many female characters and female heroes, mm. um, each one ends up kind of falling into a trope no matter what you do. Um, mm-hmm. I think there can be characters like uh, Wonder Woman who is a warrior and who fights but could also ha- be incredibly empathetic or have a... Com- like, they can embody lots of things that many different tropes of female characters um kind of embody Mm. um and i think it's it when they fall too far the other way they get heavily criticized in a way that we probably never would of male characters um it it reminds me a lot of our when we talk about uh representation of queer characters it's just like when there's only one 
the weight of responsibility of representation comes upon them. And I think the exact same thing is has been true of female characters, which is why mm. the Smurfette principle is entirely bollocks, which is don't just put one woman in your story because she is obliged to be a stand-in for all women mm. and ergo couldn't possibly represent anything. Well, like imagine Fury Road without Furiosa and it's just Max saving the uh, the wives Sister. slash sisters. Mm. Um, and if all the women in the film were kind of these... I'm going to say damsels, damsels, don't worry, I'm going to elaborate. Uh, it would be a very different kind of film. But because Furiosa is there, not only does it present a very clear uh, sort of variety of characters, you end up finding the sisters have very different mm -hmm. uh, like ways to bring. And the fact that, uh, you know, I actually really love the moment when... Um, one of them does kind of want to go back to Joe and mm. um, we, you know, mm. I think, yeah, having, having more than one. Um, I often talk about Parks and Rec a little bit because uh, mm. on their own, a lot of the female characters would be quite, um, I, I think about like Ron's wives and his mm -hmm. ex-wives ex and like even Leslie, if she was the only female character, um, they kind of fall into things, but because there's so many and they're all interacting, they all kind of like get on, mm. they end up all feeling more multifaceted. Yeah. Um, again, you don't have that weight and things in relation to each other. Like, yes. yeah, exactly, exactly like you say. Uh, there is a lot more to, to talk about and we're going to, but I feel like we should have a tea break because <laughs> otherwise, you know, people might want a, a chance to break from their ears, as it were. <laughs> I'm going to put the kettle on. Okay. Let's go. It's the middle section of the show. Whether this actually ends up in the middle or not, who knows? This is a bumper yeah. bumper episode. Um, this could be a third way through. This could be two thirds of the way through. Who knows? <laughs> it's your breathing space. So unlike strong female characters who don't need no man, uh, we are a podcast that needs sponsorship. As, uh, as a result, we are delighted to say that we are sponsored by Beastly Beverages, fandom and fantasy luxury hand-blended loose-leaf tea and tea-related geeky paraphernalia. Indeedy doody. I'm sorry, I lost track because I had a panic that my recording software had done a thing. It has not. Everything is fine. And what's even better <laughs> is Beastly Beverages is queer-owned. All their ingredients are organic and fairly shaded, and almost all their products are suitable for vegans. Did you see how I got back on that horse? It was Flawless. amazing. Thank you. Are, you. Uh, yes. Uh, check them out at beastbeverages.com. <laughs> Uh, uh, BeastBeverages.com There's also a Patreon, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter and Instagram And we have a sponsor code for you That gets you 10% off your order That sponsor code is Problematic All one word, why wouldn't it be? No capital letters P-R-O-B-L-E-M-A-T-I-C Problematic BeastBeverages <laughs> ships worldwide mm -hmm. um, And if you are tired of tea and coffee no, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> Try again. Try again. We are, we, are, we are all over the place. Um, teas and coffees 
is your jam and you live near London, BC Beverages will be selling at London MCM Comic Con later this month. We will also be attending. What I was mm. going to say is that if you don't like tea and coffee but want to support the brand beastly boutique has just launched it's selling handcrafted jewelry gifts and stationery um of a kind of dark kawaii variety um you can find them at uh, ticktail.com forward slash the beastly boutique ticktail is t-i-c-t-a-i-l um and a quick thing that is beautifully apt timing wise given our topic of today's episode or this episode is that a range of Sailor Moon teas has just gone on to pre-order. Oh yes, very gorgeous and, artwork as well. And they sound delicious. Um as I said those are available for pre-order. Your code would work there. So you can check out the descriptions and the artwork over on the website. Uh, we are also sponsored by the podcast Dungeons and Queers. It's an all-trans, all-queer, actual play D&D 5th edition podcast that can be found on iTunes or Google Play or most other podcasting apps. These players focus on diverse characterization and good representation, specifically focused on diverse genders, orientations, races, and disabilities. It's a deaf accessible podcast with transcripts for the episodes available, and now is the perfect time to hop on. If you love Friends at the Table or The Adventure Zone but wish they were a little bit more queerer, this is exactly the podcast for you. Download it and make sure you don't miss out on Undead Hordes, High Adventure, and Larry the Cable God. And from the creators of Dungeons and Queers, they is also the wonderful, the amazing Polyam Radio, a show about relationships, love, and polyamory. It's about queer love, that creepy uppy kind of love, that kind of love that enriches our lives and makes us do stupid things. It's about relationships that work, habits that don't, and things we wish we didn't do or that our partners did. It's about queers and our and experiences and analysing the mistakes and telling the listener how not to make them. Uh, Sophie, one of the hosts, was a guest on our episode about polyamory. And if you liked that and you want to hear more from her, do check out Polyam Radio. You can find it on iTunes and most other platforms. And very, very quickly, as we have a lot to talk about in the second half, uh, I just want to say I'll be at Nottingham Comic Con on the 20th of of this month, which, if you're listening uh, today on Monday when we launched, is the Saturday um, I'm signing at the No Brow table with Luke Pearson, who is the creator of Hilda. So if you like that and want to get a signature from him, stay around and talk to me as well. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, Jade will also be joining me at uh, London MCM, as we said, which I believe is the weekend after the 26th, 7th mm-hmm. uh, and 8th of October. So yeah. uh, We will have sweets because... We will have sweets. that's what i contribute i bring the sweets and i bring uh tabletop gaming expertise also uh last year we did a um trick-or-treat special where we got loads of questions and ate loads of sweets and it was really funny Mm -hmm. and because jade will be over that weekend i think we might be doing the same thing again so we'll remind you at the end but please send in your uh questions of a funny or tricksy variety indeed and uh we'll get to you soon shall we head back Let's let's get back into it. So, what? Well, as so often, even the term "strong <laughs> female character" is kind of weighted. Yes, it, it definitely elicits a reaction to most uh, nerds, feminists, mm. uh, anyone kind of involved. Um, I found two sort of takes on it. Mm-hmm. Um, one from Karina Chacano. Um, 
that says the strong female character has become a cinematic cliche resulting in character archetypes like the alpha professional whose laser focus on career advancement has caused her to become grim celibate automaton and the gloomy ninja with commitment issues by this metric the strong female character is a woman with the gendered behavior taken out and uh alison wilmore offered uh, this taken a more positive light. Uh, i take issue with popular interpretation of the word strong rather than with the archetype itself. I prefer strong female characters in the sense of well-developed ones given a legitimate point of view over badass ones. Yeah, I I think we've all seen the examples that's been talked about where mm. in order to prove that a character can keep up with the male characters, um, there's kind of like... I think about this kind of cliche scene. I can't even think of a particular thing that uses it, but like the female character suddenly kicks loads of ass and then they make some aside like, I grew up with a bunch of brothers. Ha ha ha. That kind of thing. I think uh, this is a really silly example, but I think about um, Princess Fiona in the Shrek films, like suddenly known in Kung Fu, which is obviously played for comedy, mm. but that kind of like female character does something really kick-ass and all the male characters kind of look at each other like, ooh, like, better what? not mess with her. Like, how could this be? Um, mm. Other examples, I mean, these aren't necessarily criticism of characters, but like, uh, they introduce Agent Carter uh, and she's, you know, got her World War II haircut and her lipstick and then she like almost instantly punches the soldier in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and Arwen from Lord of the Rings, who, uh, in order to make her a stronger character than she is in the books, because those books are lacking in many female mm. characters. Um, she ends up being sort of more of a warrior and she's sort of drawing swords on Aragorn and things like that. Um, mm. Again, these aren't necessarily like negative things. It's just that this this choice to, mm. in order to make a female character better, to make her more violent, Yes, um, I see a lot. Yeah. And even when we think about, um, and I don't want to, Hamish is right to say, like, so often it's characterised as, as a, a behaviour of violence to represent that 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 bullshit thing between what is a strong, what makes a, char- a female character strong is the ability to, you know, kick ass and take names. And I feel like even, um, like, you can see it in the evolution of Disney princesses mm. that... Um, and I think it, that push that from feminists like, oh, they need to be stronger characters, ignoring the fact that thing, like uh, some of the stuff that they go through, when you think about maybe the classics, princesses, Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, then we have our Disney renaissances who are these uh, women sort of having more agency. Uh, Belle, who just wants to adventure in that great word somewhere. She doesn't really know what she wants, but you know she wants it. Um, and I'm not going to talk about the live action Beauty and the Beast because if I get started talking about live action <laughs> adaptions of Beauty and of Disney movies, I'm going to hit on one of their recently announced one and I might set something on fire. <laughs> um, but Jasmine also wanting to choose her own love or Pocahontas and let's not talk about some horrifying Disney historical revisionism mm-hmm. there. But then when we move up to the more modern movies where we have Rapunzel um, escaping the tower with Flynn's help and taking charge of her own life, uh, Elsa in Frozen and Anna as well, so start rejecting certain conventions and uh, taking direction of their own life, uh, Moana, who within text rejects the term princess and in herself is sort of eschewing 
many mm. of the the stereotypes previously established by Disney. Yeah, I mean, I I I, I put these in little groups in our little notes because I think it's very interesting seeing how. Mm. When princesses started off, they all dream of finding love, mm-hmm. and they all dream of you know finding their prin- their prince, and that will solve all their problems. Um, I'm not saying these characters are bad. I know lots of people that really love Snow White, uh, and I do as well. Um, but the re- Renaissance was defined by they still were love stories, but they always mm-hmm. wanted something else, and it was sort of coincidental that like love was part of what solved their issues. Mm-hmm. Like Belle wants like adventure, and it turns out that you know fucking a water buffalo is the way to do that. <laughs> um, and you know what? You do you, boo. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I think about Jasmine, like she very, you know as a kid her saying i am not a prize to be won like really went like oh my god feminism exists and like really changed you know opened my eyes um and she very much wants other things she wants freedom um and it you know it turns out marrying aladdin is the way for freedom i put pocahontas in because i you know pocahontas is not a film i enjoy Mm. but uh she is she does not want to marry Kokowam. She wants to do her own thing. Uh, and I always feel sorry for Pocahontas because the first white man she ever meets is Mel Gibson. But I just think, you know, the, the this era was kind of wanting to have that cake and eat it. Yeah. Like, we want the love story, but she wants other things too. Mm-hmm. And then I put the sort of modern ones. Uh, I, I did skip over Tiana um, just because she, I felt she was a little few... Uh, she's kind of... Is she Renaissance? Is she modern? Yeah. Um, but similarly, like they have very distinct wants and needs. Yes. And although Tiana and Rapunzel do have love stories, um, Elsa and Moana have no. There's no love story there. Mm-hmm. Um, and personally, I'm not judging people that like the films. I think I do think Elsa and Moana work a little bit better than um, Merida and Brave, where she is presented with men and she constantly rejects them. Mm. I actually, I, I, I love how in Moana, particularly, no love interest is there, but that's, it's it's not like they don't lampshade the uh, mm. sort of absence of one. Yes. And it feels a little less forced, strong female character. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're talking with Doctor Who, that so often strong female characters are written as we're going to present them with lots of tropes and lots of sexism and we're going to show how they reject that. I think and, yeah. I was gonna say, I think it's interesting because what we were given earlier about female re- saying about female representation is that uh, Merida was the first, uh, Brave I should say with Merida, is the first Pixar movie that had a female protagonist. Mm. And so I feel like she got stuck with a lot. Yeah. And so they had to go, oh, yeah, well, I don't want to mar- get married. And, oh, no, my mum's a bear now. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to change your fate? Um, Shout out to Kelly McDonald. I love Kelly McDonald. She's great in that movie. And I genuinely like Brave. Yes, I like Brave, but I also... I. Uh, it's well reported that it was, you know, being solo directed by a woman and then co-directed and then she left. Yeah. And I... I have this feeling she wants to tell a story about a mother and daughter, daughter. and their relationship. 
Yeah. And then somewhere along the way, the idea that it could be a princess movie sort of mm-hmm. kind of came along. The kind of, oh, we could sell dolls. We could do all this, blah, blah, blah. Um, so it does feel like a little confused. But yeah. uh, what I'm saying is just like, I think these... In a way, the archetype of the Disney princess is kind of the same character viewed through many decades. And it's a really good way of viewing how we view female characters. Because yeah. almost all of almost all of them are main characters. You know, Jasmine yeah. isn't, but... Hmm. And she's main, but, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, another, and I feel like we have to talk about her uh, because hmm. both Hamish and I riffed on the show she is from in our titles for the episode. Her name came up when we asked on Twitter. And for a lot of people, she is such an archetypal female character, strong female character. We have to talk about Buffy Summers. Yeah. Uh, I really love her. And when people say, what's your favorite Buffy character? I always more or less say Buffy. Mm -hmm. Um, I even like sort of the direction they go when, you know, the kind of sad seasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I just think she's so many different things. Yeah. And I think there's a reason why so many people connected with her. And the arc of Buffy, not just for her herself, though primarily from a 15, 16 year old having this responsibility placed upon her, upon her mm. by virtue of her birth. So, you know, there's something to be said there. And going through the journey that she does, the people that she meets, the people that she loses, and what happens at the end of Buffy, spoilers for the end of Buffy, with the mantle of Slayer being spread out and Mm. all girls who might be a Slayer becoming a Slayer. That, as as a story of women... Of female empowerment, I suppose, taking it away from... And Buffy's move towards independence, rejecting the Watcher's Council and taking mm. her destiny into her own hands. And, like, and in the, that finale, she, like, fundamentally changes the rules that's been dictating her life. Exactly that. Mm. However, and this I realised when I was stating a lot of the characters that are my favourites, um, or the ca- characters that came to mind, and this is an issue with Buffy and this particular issue I'm about to mention by name uh, they're often created by men yes and uh, particularly Joss Whedon uh, has this thing for strong female characters and there was a time when we all applauded also we were younger and we didn't know better one Mm. two there was a lot less of it yeah and so I think it's very easy and correct that we criticise Joss Whedon's writing and his treatment of female characters. But I don't think in doing so we should lose how important seeing that kind of character was. And what was great about Buffy is that she got to still be this teenage girl. And she was like... The whole point of Buffy as a character was, oh, you know that blonde girl that's always the victim, the first Mm. one killed in a horror movie by the vampire? What if she could turn around and kill that vampire? Mm. That, if I'm remembering correctly, was the impetus behind her. Like back from the Buffy the movie with Chrissy Swanson, it's just like, it's the pretty blonde cheerleader that will turn around and kill the vampire rather than be killed. 
Yeah, I mean, I when it there was a lot of discussion about the what was originally said a Buffy reboot with a black Buffy is now being slightly changed to a something set in the universe about a black Slayer. Okay. Um, it, it, there, there's rumors of a of a um, buff uh, of a Last Jedi Luke style Buffy kind of mentor aspect to this. Okay, if they want um, to get SMG back in as like an older, <laughs> slightly more grizzled, I'm I'm here for that. Also, bring in Eliza Dushku. Let me have my ladies. Say yeah. What? Um, back on point. My apologies. Well, I did see some criticism. Uh, obviously, you know the bad kind of criticism, but some legitimate criticism about how uh, Buffy was important as being that kind of, um, you know, slasher film victim type character. Mm. But I actually think in today's age when, as we were talking with Doctor Who, black women in TV shows often, uh, there's just like a ticking time bomb with them of when they're Mm. going to be like horribly killed some way. Mm. Um, I think the idea of, uh, a black slayer um, ignoring uh, Kendra. <laughs> um, and also the slayer who I can't even remember her name and I don't remember if she was named, which, you know, good work show mm-hmm. and good work me. The slayer that Spike killed in the Robin Wood's mother. Yes, um, yes. Where, who Spike stole the duster from. Yeah. I mean, uh, I... I think you can still tell that same story of like, I mean, obviously we need more shows empowering, you know, mm-hmm. black people, but uh, I think it has the potential to be just as relevant today. Mm. Um, but I'm slightly annoyed that still Joss is slightly attached because I think part of why people criticize him is not for what he did, but it's the fact that he helped uh, create change and we've changed, but he might not have. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously there's stuff to be said. We did a whole episode talking about, um, his treatment of people he's been in relationships with. Mm. Um, but I think we want, we might've evolved a bit more and at least yeah. the showrunner of the new one's different. Um, mm. I, we got told to talk about an article Joss Reedon wrote on the topic of strong women characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I read it and it's... I mean, <laughs> the, the so the whole article is basically building up to the one quote, which I see on a lot of things, which is, uh, Joss has asked, why do you write so many strong female characters? And he says, because you're still asking me that question. Cute, nice quote for 2012 Tumblr. It's all great. Mm. But the whole article is really strange. He answers the question multiple times. Mm. And... In the same way, it reminds me of those like Pride London posters, which were like, don't worry, yeah. straight people can, you know, do Pride too. His first response is like, I write strong female characters because my dad, he like respected women and I write them for him. And then at one point he says like, I write strong female characters because they're really hot. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it, I think he was partially responsible for like creating that term, mm. um, which becomes very loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of that said, I think like Buffy will stand the test of time in some ways. Um, it's already like hella dated. We've talked about um, mm. killing off of certain characters that doesn't look great these days. But mm-hmm. um, you know, she saved the world a lot. <laughs> yeah. I will always. I think the the moment in Buffy that moved me the most 
is the class protector um, aspect. And I think if we're talking about it through the lens of strong female characters, (coughs) it's very emotional. And she's given like a sparkly umbrella and she cries. And I think women in the real world, (laughs) mothers and things like that, they it's assumed that they're doing lots of work. It's assumed that, Mm. you know, uh, a lot of things happen in, you know, oh, my house is tidy, my dishes are done and I'm taken to school and blah, 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 blah. And that without like, thanks. And that's, I'm talking very like traditional gendered Mm. roles. Yeah. Um, And seeing lots of characters who you thought hadn't been recognizing her and what she's been doing Hmm. hadn't even noticed all the supernatural stuff going on but to see like male characters think about it and thank yeah. her and appreciate her was what really moved me yeah it's a, it was a great moment for sure something i'm excited about with doctor who is seeing male characters not question and not feel like demasculated by looking to the doctor for advice and look yeah. like there's a bit in one of the trailers where she um they say like why are you in charge and like all of the commanders go like because we say so yeah um so that makes me happy yeah um i suppose a point that i I, because i i I was like oh there's a couple of bits of buffy that i could mention i'm like no because otherwise i'll just go down the rabbit hole talk about (laughs) moments of buffy um but i want to talk about how these strong female characters are put under uh, way higher scrutiny. Uh, we touched on this earlier, talking about uh, the onus of representation and maybe mm. like this overcompensation. Uh, but, and I think it is true that female characters are held to a higher standard of behaviour, almost, yeah. which their male counterpoints would never get held to um you cited a couple of specific examples one i'll i'll go out because it's great is uh in the trailer for captain marvel we see her <laughs> punching an old lady which i just laughed at because i'm a terrible person and there's implications <laughs> like one i think carol winds back on earth and something we don't know what's going on with captain marvel she seems to have memory like Carol, Carol mm. seems to have memory stuff going on. We don't really know what's going on. Also, the whole thing about Captain Marvel involves scrolls and shapeshifters anyway. So I'm not yeah. too fussed. And I saw lots of people like claiming that gif. It's great. Just the number of times I've said that that gift of Carol Danvers punching that old lady in the face. It's very good. But people are just like, a hero shouldn't punch an old lady in the face. Mm. Fuck off. Well, it's like... Um, I... <sighs> Some people view strong female characters as they can do anything a man can do, but actually from a writing perspective, there's lots of things you can't have a woman do because it's not been done enough. Mm-hmm. I think about when when Capaldi regenerated into Jodie Whittaker, um, like many a doctor before her, she has a bit of amnesia, she crashes the TARDIS. But mm-hmm. a lot of people either were making pff, women driver comments mm-hmm. or people thought that the show was. Yeah. And it's like... Uh, Chris Chibnall, the showrunner of the new series, said that um, he hadn't told the writers they had a female doctor for a while before they'd done a few drafts. Mm-hmm. And um, if you wrote the doctor identically, mm-hmm. there would be moments where people would think, oh, you're doing that because she's a woman. Yeah. For example, in New Who, almost all the doctors, I think all of them, have had a love story of some kind. Um 
had the show come back in 2005 with a female Doctor and there was more of a love story, people would think that that's because the Doctor's a woman now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's the thing. You could write characters identically, but... As soon as you have a different... Yeah, there's, there's just like... These characters don't exist in a vacuum. No. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to say one example that I... I springs to my mind. Um, you haven't seen Wonder Woman, have you? It's fine. I, I've been spoiled for most of it. Please go ahead. Um, in my discussion with people of Wonder Woman, there's people that... The, some people love it and some people really hate it. And one of the sticking points that's really common in people that don't like it, and these are a lot of my friends, I did like the film, um, mm. but is that she does have sex with Chris Pine in the film. And... Um, while it's valid, I mean, throughout, some people said that from that point onwards, her mission to sort of um, stop the war because of love for humanity changed much more to stop the war because her boyfriend might get hurt. Right. Uh, it can possibly be viewed that way. And I mean, obviously, it has been because people have had this take on it. Mm. Um. But sort of the idea in my head that a woman can't be a superhero anymore if she's had sex. Yeah. Kind of... Sucks? Yeah, and it makes me think of Buffy, where, you know, for a few seasons, she's, like, having sex with the enemy, and she's very, very depressed, and she's doing a lot of things that you would never do... You'd never introduce her this way in season one. But because we've been with her enough, she's actually getting the kind of storylines that characters like Batman or Iron Man would get. Mm-hmm. Um, but characters like, uh, you know, someone like um, Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, when she's introduced, she's sort of the first female Muslim superhero. So, of course, she's going to be sort of, you know, a... I won't say perfect, but she's going to be a certain type of character. And I wonder if in 20 years, when she's been around for a lot longer, what kind of storyline she's going to get. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, and I think to part past this whole being a badass thing, and I also wanted to mention this quote that I've seen because it makes me really happy. And talking about like strong female characters, Captain Marvel is not a character I'm well acquainted with. I'm, I'll hold my hands up now. Mm-hmm. I know that she's super powerful, Uh Frequently has a really cool badass short haircut. Love it. <laughs> but in the trailer, you see, uh, and one of the, I love as, as teaser trailers go, it tells us fuck all. But you see like Carol at different parts of her life, mm. and you see her get knocked down, like in a few, and or and gets back up. And the quote I've seen is from go as it goes, Simone, Simone or Simon. Either way, amazing comic writer. I just mm. only ever see her name written down, so I'm never sure what the pronunciation is, um, which is that Carol Danvers, like Captain America, always gets back up. Mm. But there's a difference. Captain America gets back up because it's the right thing to do, to keep going. Carol Danvers gets back up because fuck you. (laughs) Which is just... I am looking forward to seeing a character who gets to be that. One of the reasons why I liked Furiosa is because she is unapologetically... She Her storyline is something that you quite commonly see for a male character. Yes, there is the implications of sexual assault in the backstory, mm. which is uh, unfortunately common trend, but her trauma, 
both does and doesn't define her. Like, it's more the trauma of being taken from her mother that defines her more as a person, her drive to do things. I found her so very compelling. Mako Mori, who I adore. Let's not talk about Pacific Rim Uprising. Um, Is, uh, yeah, don't worry, Fever Dream. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) But the things she gets to, and she's an engineer, and we get to see her fight, and but she's also likes her little girly cardigans and things like that. These women who get to be complicated individuals. Because yeah, I mean, people, they get to be people. I mean, obviously Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel are going to be compared a lot um, mm. because I think Wonder Woman 2 is coming out next year as well as Captain Marvel. Um, but I think they very clearly defined that Wonder Woman is very empathetic. I mean, Wonder Woman is a little bit of a Disney princess film. She has a lot mm-hmm. of the same like story points. And, mm. um, you know, she does, like, love is a very big part of her character. Whereas Captain Marvel is a, like, you know, fighter pilot. She's kind of very... Uh... <laughs> Someone... Uh... I saw a quote from sort of a writer saying that... Um talking about humor in the film and like apparently uh carol says a lot of jokes but they're kind of bad yes like she's not very good at telling jokes like she's not sort of wisecrack she's not tony stark yeah um she's a bit sort of um i don't know like she seems like a very different character Mm -hmm. and the fact that you can have not you know people talk about catwoman and electra and like the very first sort of female superhero films and back then what a female superhero was is that they just wore very tight clothes and, Mm. you know, jumped around a bit and were very sexy. And I think it's great that you can have Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and that they are very different films. Yeah. And even, and it's taken them far too long to do it, but in the scope of, say, just the Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously all we had at first was... Uh, Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, who's a very mm. particular kind of woman who's has always been um, an assassin. Like, that is the vibe. But mm. then we got to have... Um, then, obviously, we met uh, Scarlet Witch, who, again, falls into some unpleasant stereotypes about traumatised women and things like that. But it's arguably one of the most, if not the most powerful person in mm. that universe. Though She's going to meet Captain Marvel soon, and that's going to be exciting and then we meet the uh we've got people like jane foster and darcy lewis who exist in the marvel cinematic universe mm. um we come up to black panther we've got nakira and general okoye and uh shuri and i cannot remember the queen mother's name played by yeah. angela bassett we've um, got i've always to... been sort of defensive of gamora even yes um, i love gamora her, her role in infinity war um which i i I'm not even going to sort of talk about until we've seen Mm. the second half, I suppose. But like, I I think she's very interesting and I really liked all the work they put into her relationship with Nebula in um, in the Mm. second one. And um, there have been female characters in this world for a long time and they are actually pretty good on the whole. Mm. Um, But it's just going to be so nice to see. uh, I mean, actually I saw Ant-Man and the Wasps and technically that's Mm. the first like fronted Mm. by a woman. If she just had to co- co-runner um yeah but what i mean is because we've had all these different female characters and these ways to be a woman mm. getting then i feel like there is the freedom to have this maybe not very funny more aggressive perhaps 
superhero who is nothing like the heroes we've seen before because there has been that room. They have given themselves that space and this is why representation is so fucking important. I think that's a good place to leave it. Okay. Did we have time for questions or do you want to just... Uh... No, no, I feel we're like... We've, we've only got a couple. I know we had a question from Kansas over on the Facebook group about a uh, good place. I hope my chat in the... Mm-hmm. Uh, geek out was enough there's a couple of short questions um i feel like uh worth doing uh i apologize for not having more recommendations uh amar asked if we had any recommendations of queer horror movies slash series um i was just gonna mention one thing yesterday i watched the first episode of the haunting of hill house uh the new netflix adaptation of the book um, I've not read the book. I've only uh, seen the original The Haunting film, and one of them is not faithful because they are very different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, I actually watched that with um, Tiffany Baxter, who I do the podcast with, and um, there was quite a funny scene of us both going, Harold? H- Harold? <laughs> Harold? Excellent. Um, Excellent. So there's a... Uh, there is a lesbian or bisexual uh, woman character she has not been killed off yet <laughs> hey. uh, she's part of the main cast uh my criticism it's it's pretty good but my criticism with it is that they've cast the family incredibly well and that everyone, they all look the same <laughs> everyone looks identical mm. and i cannot tell anybody apart <laughs> um i don't have any specific recommendations for queer horror um what i will say is that a lot of horror creators are queer especially oh, yeah. with a lot of contemporary horror mm-hmm. um, but it perhaps doesn't get to show up in the text as much as they would like um, for all the American horror story is full of bad things mm. you can't change the fact that it is written by a, a gay man and they do often have queer characters within it and I'm very out of the loop but I think they're doing their own infinity war at the moment yeah but <laughs> It's something that may be worth doing a little bit of research on. Uh, please keep yourself safe with regards to content warnings oh, yeah. and quality of work warnings. But there is some interesting stuff to be seen in American Horror Story, I think. Some seasons are definitely stronger than others. I have enjoyed some of what I've watched. I've hated other bits. Yeah. But for fun, campy horror, if that's your thing. Um, man, I can't remember the name. Uh, there's these two twins that do great schlocky stuff. Um also, it's more female-focused than queer, but I love the Ginger Snaps movies. Mm-hmm. Like, they're some of my favourites. So, um, but yep, cool. that's from Ma. Uh, um, and then we have a question from Joe saying, what are your thoughts on uh, Gender Recognition Act consultation? Um, so. Yeah. Uh, the um, In the UK... Uh, in 2004, I think, there was the Gender Recognition Act, mm-hmm. uh, which was really cool for the time. It was very, um, like, progressive for trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's pretty out of date. And yes. uh, I think it's important. I don't know when the deadline is, but I think it's, it's important to... It's coming up soon, next few days. Uh, yeah. Uh, if it's not already closed, um, I think it's pretty important. Any uh, listeners in the UK... Uh, or maybe they don't need to be in the UK, I'm not sure. You don't, but, I don't think you need to be in the UK. Um, if you go to stonewall.org.uk, uh, and I'm sure it'll be clearly close to the front page, mm. um, they map it out very clearly for you. 
um, they say where they stand on uh, this kind of form. It does mm-hmm. take about 10 minutes, but I think it's very worth it, um, especially mm-hmm. for allies. There's been a, a apparently a sort of turf fight back using the form and things like that. So yeah, essentially what that- it... Mm, please, please. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm t- talking over you. No, I was just going to say there's been a real concentrated motion by various turf groups to flood uh, the uh, form, which is like lots and lots and lots of responses. So any ally, any people, please respond because a lot of what is being said by turf propaganda and bullshit, and that's not getting into start the full page ad that a group took out in the Metro this week the uk has a really specific Mm. problem i don't see as much in america which is intense transphobia from kind of liberal sources and Mm. women um it's kind of like a aspect that's sort of tearing up um british comedy (laughs) um a lot of people siding with various people although um as much as i adore his work and always will i was kind of funny to find out that graham linehan has been um sued <laughs> and blocked from twitter um finally for being so horrible Transfer. people yeah but basically uh to get to the point the, a lot of what they're saying is factually untrue the equality act of 2010 already allows people to use the fucking bathroom for the gender that they identify with the mm-hmm. changes they're proposing to the act would mean things like a person being able to self-define gender and not have to present to a panel of people to prove that they are the gender that they are yeah it's, i've known so many people have had to it doesn't allow for anyone to not who doesn't fit totally in the binary um mm-hmm. i've known people who've in order to be approved for what they need have had to fake that they are one of the genders aggressively and prove mm-hmm. over and over again oh yes i like football and i like this and i'm a man and i'm a man 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 it's in bullshit. order to like get what they need to yeah. live non-binarily so and the arguments that be, are being made by some of these groups about how being able to self-define on your birth certificate means that men are going to prey on women and girls. You're just like, I'm sorry, no cis man is going to fucking do that. No. And talk about how all trans women uh, in prisons are sex offenders. Just like, mm, no, um, for, there's a lot of sex workers who are trans women and being arrested for doing sex work gets you on the sex offenders register. Yeah. Basically, we need allies to do this survey if only to counteract the wave of fucking bullshit so uh, yes the consultation is a good thing uh, because trans the trans community in the UK deserve these freedoms deserve these rights and so many people are anti that happening so we need help yeah and it's one of these moments where um, even if in the past you've not agreed with certain things uh, Stonewall's organisation has done Mm. Um, these are moments when we have to come together rather than sort of fight yeah. internally. Yeah, we'll drop the episode, uh, a link to the Stonewall uh, assistance article in the show notes. I've re- I've been retweeting it recently. You can find it on my Twitter as well. Please do fill it in if you've got 10 minutes. Please yep. find 10 minutes. It would be great. Thank you for the question. I don't think we would have talked about it if we um, yeah, hadn't been you, reminded. Jo. So um, if you want to send us questions for next episode, which will be a trick-or-treat, um, silly uh, <laughs> sort of showdown of nonsense, mm-hmm. um, do so via boxonclue.gmail.com or via social media on Twitter, Tumblr, uh, 
and wherever we are. Facebook. Um, Facebook, yes. Our Facebook group, which is a private place for geeky discussions and whatnot. You can also talk to us directly. I'm at Hamish Steele on Twitter. And I- and I'm at Rose. And finally, as always, we'd like to thank our Graham, Graham Waller, Audio <laughs> Overlord and Master of the Soundways for our theme music and for helping produce the podcast. But until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anybody box you in. <laughs>